Let's jump right into our first question that we have. Number one, how should I relate to my friends, family members who are openly LGBTQ+, and then how do I carry my convictions while still being a safe place for them? Yeah, it's a huge question. I mean, we, we do like a seven-hour training on exactly this, or we have various trainings that we do, so just this is super complex. I understand that. But I think the simplest answer I can offer is how do you engage your friends who are sleeping with someone of the opposite sex? The answer to that is, like a normal person, <laughs> you can just talk to your friends and ask questions and ask questions about their significant other. Asking questions about their significant other is not affirmation of same-sex marriage. That's called practicing hospitality. Mm. Now, you don't have to say, I'm so excited for you, just like you wouldn't say that about your friend who's sleeping with someone of the opposite sex. You would be like, yay, and if you are saying yay, I'm just telling you, it's sin, too. Uh, so my biggest piece of advice is how would you engage someone who's engaging in a different type of sexual sin? Uh, and then I also would say there are people who identify as LGBTQ, like myself, who are submitting that to Jesus. So just, you know, because they identify that way doesn't mean they're automatically sinning their guts out, to quote my mom. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> just popped in my head. Um, but then really the question people have is like, at what point do I share what's true, what, what I believe about this? And I would just ask you, when do you like to be confronted about very personal things in your life? On the internet? In like a brand new small group? I mean, my husband Matt's actually here. He's in the hat. Look, it's Matt. If we are like having a bad morning and then he like talks to me about something deep like three hours later, I'd be like, I don't even know you. We are so off. How can I talk to you about that deep blaze in my heart? But, and we're married for 14 years now. So I would say, at what point do you engage in these? truthful conversations is it's when do you like to be to talk about and how do you like to receive truth and the cheesy phrase I have for that is when your heart close like when you're really like it's like you can feel you're kind of sitting side by side as friends now if you're in a position of spiritual influence like pastor small group leader that's a different conversation but this is friendship would you say it's different if they're a professing Christian versus, uh, let's say, not Christian? So again, how would you engage your friends who are greedy and Christians, who are addicted to porn and are Christians, and are gluttonous and are Christians, and are, you know, making bad choices on the weekends and are Christians? So yeah, in the sense that we are called to judge each other, but we're not called to be judgmental. Here's the difference. Judgmental is like looking down and like patting them on the head and kind of hitting them a little bit. You're kind of stupid, aren't you? <laughs> You're making dumb choices. Christian, I'm better than you, Christian. That's called being a Pharisee. <clears throat> 
Oh, but be judging someone is looking eyeball to eyeball. Hey, I love you so much. I'm, I'm confused about what I'm seeing here. Can you help me understand? I don't, I don't see this in the word. And they, they might not receive it well, and, but I, I will contort my language, my posture, as much as I can so that I can talk heart to heart, but I don't change my theology. That's good. Let's jump to question number two. How do you target which of the core needs are unmet in your life, referring to your message last night? Man, you guys are such good question askers. I like you. Okay, I already did. She's <laughs> helping me like you more. Uh, really, this is how I do it. Is if I'm feeling some kind of way in the sense that I feel empty or I feel really like I want to run toward a certain sin, whether that's sexual or I just want to go like buy stuff for my house or I just want to like eat everything or I don't know. Like I've got tons of sins, guys. You have no idea. <laughs> I, I want to do all the sins. <laughs> but instead of go there, if I pause and I ask the question, we talked about this yesterday, I'll say it again. What is the sexual sin? Food. Redoing my house so it's finally as adorable as Joanna Gaines's houses. It will never be that cute. Uh, what will the, what's the food promising me? What are all these things promising me? And then you just say, answer it. Oh, it's promising. What's food? Like, we don't actually even ask that. Me eating this whole whatever. Uh, it's promising me comfort. Okay. Maybe I need rest, safety. Just, just look at the core needs as, as you're answering this. Okay, what is this person? Uh, I feel like they're really just going to help me feel seen and known. Okay, you want to be sought. So really, you self-diagnose by looking at what you long for. You're self-diagnosing how and where you need God. And back to that first question, when I'm trying to be evangelistic to my LGBTQ friends, get to know them. Listen to their longings. Listen to how, what they talk about, what they long for in ch the church changing, in their girlfriend or boyfriend, and whatever. You're going to start to hear, if you actually listen, you're going to start to hear them, them self-diagnose how and where they need God. Nothing new under the sun, guys. Nothing. Did you guys take notes? That was really good. <laughs> that was really good. Let's move to the next question. How do you navigate? I'm sorry, let me see this. That just changed on me. How do you navigate wanting to have sex with someone when you're single? Great question. So, that desire to be unified with someone is a reflection of what? Of our desire and God's desire to be one with us. So in your, it's similar to fasting. Matt actually talks about that really well in this one because he talks about his wrestling with porn addiction. It's nuts, right? He's crazy smart. He's, he should be up here right now, but <laughs> he's doing work. <laughs> 
but he said when he was wrestling with his own desires for sex, he remembered a sermon our pastor gave on fasting, fasting for, from food. And our pastor said, when you fast from food, those hunger pangs, they remind you and they're almost like a prayer to God and you're giving up and you're not satiating those stomach longings. You're saying to God, this much, oh Lord, I long for you. So when you have those desires inside of you, you, instead of needing, no one dies from not having sex. Exactly zero people have died from that. <laughs> okay? You will not die. <laughs> You'll get chlamydia and die from mean girls. Sorry, probably shouldn't say that. Don't have sex. You'll get chlamydia. <laughs> they shouldn't let me speak, should they? Why do they let me do this? <laughs> let me out of the cage. What am I even saying? When you feel those desires, <clears throat> you say to God, this much, oh Lord, I long for you. You willing to do that? You willing to sit in the ache of this very, very brief life until you see Jesus and you're finally, fully fulfilled? Are you willing? How do you forgive an abuser? Oh boy, yeah, right. <clears throat> so, step one, get away from abuser. If you have not, get safe. Step two, this, this cannot be done alone. You need an empathic witness because the very essence of abuse is fragmenting of your brain. It literally fragments your brain and your ability to even process. That's, that's because abuse is satanic and that Satan is a divider. God is a unifier. So it's very strange, but it literally makes you like unable to process life, fragments your brain. So get with someone who can help you rewrite your story and integrate. And you may even, when you're recounting to them the story, it might be like, doop. Doop, doop, you're talking all over the place because, again, that's what evil does. And that's okay if you're fragmented. But the Lord, remember, like those, that type of pottery, wants to bring those pieces together, dear one, and make you stronger than before. So you get with an empathic witness, someone who's empathetic, who can witness your story. I'd recommend a licensed counselor, um, but I don't know Res Life's recommendations. Yeah, okay. We're, I'm a big fan of therapy. Just went over there. Just don't talk to him right now. <laughs> but um, I would get with an empathic witness, get with a therapist who can help you hear you and can even name abuse that you haven't even been able to name so that you can even know which, which remember we talked about the daggers, which ones are in you. And then this is going to be a process. So I've had multiple instances of sexual assault I'd say each one took at least a year to process. It seems about right. And I can still get triggered, but I'm not owned. It doesn't fragment me and like shatter me like it used to. Um, 
But then the process of forgiving, it's before that forgiveness, just like Jesus, before he went to the cross, he grieved. You got to grieve what was lost, and that may take a while. And that's okay. It's okay if it takes a while. There's more I'm sure we could say, but um, I think that's a good start. How do you know if God has called you to a life of singleness as opposed to the right person has not yet come along? Isn't that, guys, that's such a great question. Goodness. I have a lot of single and celibate friends. I think I would just assume God has called you to singleness if you're not dating with the intent of marriage or you're not married. I mean, definitely, God's called you marriage then. Uh, and then just hold your hands open and just say, God, if there's someone that you do have for me, would you just like smack me? And in the meantime, I'm just going to keep running toward you. <laughs> I don't think that's new. I've never said that before. <laughs> just like wake me up, right? <laughs> but again, the purpose of our lives is to push back the darkness and usher in the light. To, another way to say that is to advance the kingdom of God alongside other co-warriors. So just as you're doing that, if it's like, oh God, just, hey, wake up. And you look next to you and you're like, oh my goodness, that person's running alongside me. Is this you? And you could, I mean, try dating if you want to. And you're like, well, oh, just kidding. I misheard that one. Or yeah, let's keep trying this. But if your eyes on the prize following the king and not eyes on the prize trying to find Mr. or Mrs. King or queen, God's going to care for you, dear ones. He's going to care for you. And singleness does not mean loneliness. That is evil, sinful garbage of our worship at the idol of nuclear family dumpster fire. The family's great, but it's a part of the church. John 17. Come on. I just have to read this. This is God's vision for us. This is Jesus' prayer before he died. Help me understand, this is not talking about marriage. This is talking about the church. I'm praying not only for these disciples, those around him, but for also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. That's all of us in this room. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one. Just as you and I are one, Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they would be in us and the world will believe you sent me. How close is God in the Son? The Father and the Son. Are you even as brothers as close as the Father and the Son? <laughs> like that is what the church is supposed to be, is to be family, brothers and sisters, even closer than y'all, right? Like, that is not how I at least am in the church. I'm trying to push that vision, but that is where when people say, okay, well, if I'm attracted to the same sex and you're telling me that I can't get married to this person I'm attracted to, then how are you going to solve the loneliness problem? The answer to that is the church. It's us being the family of God that Jesus prayed for us. We're not nailing that yet, but I pray that you all will get a little closer. And me too. I locked myself out. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Not, I'll I just listen. Just listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Why is masturbation a sin if you're not looking at porn? Yeah, we get this one a lot. I should probably have Matt come answer. So here's my question. Can you masturbate without lusting? I have yet to have someone say yes to that. And if they say yes, it's because they're actually so addicted to the process that they just do it constantly, and then they can just do it without thinking. So Matthew 5, just going to read it. You've heard the law of Moses that says, do not commit adultery. But I say that anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eye has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sorry, guys. Lust is a no-go. So I hear you. I hear you on these urges. And if you're addicted to porn and masturbation, this is going to be a tough one. God can sustain you. You will not die. You're not going to die. God is going to help you. Matt could probably talk a little bit more specifically about it. <laughs> Do you want to say anything? Okay. <laughs> but there are, I'll just, that's my only thing is if you can do it without lusting, I've just yet to meet someone who can say, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll speak into this one. Um, there, there was no such thing as pornography when, when Matthew wrote Matthew 5. Like there was no sexual videos and images online because there was no online. <laughs> and so what Jesus speaks against is as actually fantasizing and imagination. That's what he's talking about in Matthew 5. There was no porn industry. There was other sexual immorality happening in the regions around um, the Middle East, but it wasn't the type that we experience. And so masturbation is a sin. It is a sin because our imagination and our fantasizing, we are coveting another, per, another person. We are, we are objectifying another person for our own benefit. And it is, that in of itself is sinful and it is wrong. <clears throat> and on another note, there is a better way and I think it perverts, like we talked about this morning, it perverts, and it's a distortion, I should say, of God's design for sex and for sex drive. It, it, it's distortion of it, because at what we talked about this morning, the purpose of marriage is to reflect the covenantal love of God and is to reflect the covenantal love of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And sex is made for that, it's made for marriage, and that purpose of sex is intimacy that motivates self-sacrificial love. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the purpose of why God gave us a sex drive, then a, a use outside of that would be a misuse of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, to re... Yes. I, that's so good. To restate that is masturbation is selfish. 
sex is supposed to be self-giving because it's a reflection of God's love for us. Okay, that was way better than my answer. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you jogged my memory. <laughs> Glad I could help. It's <laughs> good. But ultimately, um, we said this, in, I mean, in masturbation and pornography is not just a guy issue. It's 65, uh, some statistics, you know, you can get different statistics. But according um, to yeah. um, Covenant Eyes, which is a platform, they do research and whatnot mm-hmm. into, the, into the field. They say 65% of men in the church and 15% of women in the church are looking at pornography and, and masturbating once a month. I'm sure it's higher than that. And that's, that's, that's not to shame. It's just to be yeah. like, I'm sure. And the point is, is that although it is sinful and we want to get out, it's just saying give, not give ourselves grace so that we can keep sinning, but it's saying like, like we talked about this morning, grab the hand of Jesus mm-hmm. and walk forward. Don't draw a line and make promises you can't keep. Yes. Grab the hand of Jesus and say, Help. Jesus, Help search me. the rooms of my heart and lead me Help. in the way of life. He's so faithful, you yes. guys. He's so faithful. I didn't know if I'd ever get out of my own traps of sexual, really, addiction. Uh, it wasn't with pornography, but still, it was addictive. And I didn't know if I'd ever get out. I didn't think I'd be on a stage talking about this. Are you kidding me? I thought I was, like, the worst sinner ever. I thought I'd, a lot of people, they, I was like, I'm never going to talk about this. And I couldn't. There was a bunch of years I couldn't talk about it. But God is so faithful. Put all your money on him. Not on yourself. You can't do it yourself. That's good. Is it okay to be in the LGBTQ community? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to define what that question even means, but I'll let you respond. I gotcha, I think. So I've, I've shifted on my perspective in this, and here's what. I really see LGBTQ as its own culture. And if God has allowed you to experience things, like whether it's attractions to same sex or gender wrestling, that you are submitting to Christ, and you're like, you know what, I don't think I'm ever going to get rid of this, but, and yet I understand these, this is a culture I'm a part of. Now, like any culture, there's redeemable and irredeemable aspects of that culture. There's redeemable and irredeemable aspects of deaf culture, of white evangelical culture, of black culture, of Michigan culture. I don't even know what that is. I don't know. But we need to, like it says in James 4, submit ourselves to Christ. And so if that's part of a culture that you are, I just say, God, I submit this to you. Help me to engage the pieces that are redeemable, such as within LGBTQ culture, I've been thinking about this a lot, is redeemable aspects would be, oh my goodness, if, first of all, if I wasn't gay, same-sex attracted, part of this LGBTQ culture, I would not love God's design for marriage like I do. It has given me such a perspective of like understanding and being such a champion of it. I wouldn't be questioning, what does it mean to be biblically male and female? Like, why do we have these gender stereotypes so rigid and why can't we... Yes, there's clean, there's male and female, but do we have to be like, you have to be either Barbie or John Wayne? I wouldn't think about that. I wouldn't be as crazy passionate about John 17 because I wouldn't have to ask the questions, why can't, what do you do if I'm attracted to the same sex? What do you, how do you solve the loneliness problem? 
because I am a part of that culture and because this is a part of how God has allowed me to suffer and view the world, there's a lot of advantages that I am able to call out evangelical culture. Now, I also have a lot of advantages in being able to be an effective witness and missionary to my own culture. Because of how God has allowed me to be weak, I am allowed into spaces, even here today, but within LGBTQ world, where I can preach the gospel more pointedly, (laughs) where I can say, I get it, and we have this posture of understanding so that we can almost get rid of those barriers and really talk gritty heart life stuff. So is it okay to be a part of LGBTQ culture if you're seeing it as this is, this is a people group I understand, and I'm submitting this part of myself to Christ, and I'm seeing it as an effective witnessing tool so that the gospel can be advanced in this group where the church has avoided forever. <laughs> Actually, C.S. Lewis was doing pretty good at this, and his best friend was gay, and so was John Stott. But in the last several decades, we haven't done a great job of engaging this. We have avoided. I think that there's some evangelistic, missional, tools if you are willing to go with the Holy Spirit and with a buddy, man, you guys could preach the gospel in a really starving for Jesus place. Come on. Amen. How do you forgive yourself? Hmm. I'm trying to think of a scenario where you've sinned against yourself. Let me think. I was, I, I was yeah. thinking in the realm of like maybe your perpetrator of sexual assault or you. You did, made something. Yeah. Yeah. You were so ashamed of some. Ashamed. That That's what I was yeah. like. Is this more of a shame question or is this a I sinned question? So maybe it's both. So. I would say if you sinned either against yourself or against someone else, oh my goodness, this is why they call it amazing grace, is, yeah, go before the Lord. And again, it's so helpful to have an empathic witness, someone who is empathetic and who can witness what you're saying. I did this. This is confession. And I'm really struggling with hating myself and wanting to whatever like you it's we all have within us this desire to like like the monks used to whip themselves <laughs> we have that within us like this desire like i must pay but can you take the whip and know believe this takes faith that I believe it's Psalm 103, that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. God, I can't believe it. And take the whip and give it to Jesus. And you sit in that discomfort (laughs) because grace feels so uncomfortable. And you sit there and... (laughs) You ask him to help you receive his love and grace right there. Now, if there's shame, that you're like, it's like I'm, I feel dirty, like dirty all over. 
some people use like water to like, you know, somebody will just like do across them. I don't know. I don't, I'm not super into all of that, to be honest with you. But recently when I have felt, um, I've been wrestling with some shame just in being sick and I feel like I'm, like I've got this weakness and I feel like I'm disappointing everyone by not getting healed. <laughs> and so even a couple nights ago, I was like, God, I don't know. I don't think I'm sinning, but I also believe God that you're using this weakness for your glory. Like I don't get it. And somehow there's even comfort in that and like not understanding because I'm not so smart guys, I'm just a regular old person like you, but it just somehow makes me feel better. I'm like God gets it. But I was feeling shame, and I was like, how do I get rid of this shame feeling? And I was like, this is what I did. You guys are welcome to use it or whatever. So I was like, Jesus, I just take this shame, and I, you died for that shame. He died in shame for our shame, naked on the cross. And that took faith, too. It was just me picturing, I don't have to wear this. The cross isn't magic, but it is powerful, and to just have the faith, this is where your effort comes in, is to have the faith that God can take both your guilt and your shame, and he died for your sin. And you, it's so uncomfortable. And you almost want to like do more sin to relieve the discomfort, but go celebrate in that moment. Jesus saved me, and his grace is enough for me. It's nuts. Is it okay to attend a family member's same-sex wedding? Yeah. Yep, good question that we get a lot, too. If you guys, I'm going to give you a site that you can go to that has a bunch of, uh, if you hold to a traditional view of marriage, God's designed for marriage between a man and a woman, they have a lot, they have three different options there that I believe are all biblical. So the site is centerforfaith.com. If you're interested in searching more of this LGBTQ world, it's really great resources. And click on pastoral papers and then scroll down. There's a bunch of pastoral papers of just like, how can we do this thing biblically? And there's one that's exactly answering this question. Should I attain, attend a same-sex wedding? So one thing I would say is same-sex marriage makes us do a hypocrisy check. Before same-sex marriage was a thing, and maybe you haven't been to very many weddings, and that's totally fine, but did you even think before you went to a wedding much? Were you like, oh, it's my cousins. I go to the, my cousin's wedding. Were you like, oh, I definitely believe that they're both Christians and that they are trying to do this thing to reflect the love between Christ and the church? Like, man, I'm all about this life. My going, did you even think about what your going meant? Or was it, I'm just going to my cousin's wedding, woohoo! So we got to do a bit of a hypocrisy check, is that we haven't really asked these questions until same-sex marriage came up. And so it's not great, guys. We don't have to hate ourselves, we don't have to shame ourselves, but we can say, hmm, I need to be thinking about what it means when I go to any wedding. Okay, so then what about same-sex uh, marriages? So 1 Corinthians 5 says, so let's see, it talks about what to do when it comes to uh, people who are not believers. And Paul says, I'll just quote it as best I can. He says, when I told you not to associate with people who are sinning, I wasn't talking about non-believers, 
because you would have to leave this world to not associate with them. I'm talking about believers. So if it's two unbelievers who are getting married, according to 1 Corinthians 5, my best interpretation is you can go uh, because sinners are going to sin. The world is going to world, guys. They're going to they're going to live like the world. But here's my recommendation. Now that's, that's that would be that would be my thought. If you feel like you should go, you could go. Now, what about if they're Christians or one of them's a Christian? I would recommend a conversation, whether you go or don't go. And sometimes I know this. Probably all the times this is hard. You're like, well, I don't even hardly, this is my second cousin. I just got invited. Do I really have to have a conversation? I'd recommend it. And it would go something like this. Hey, and it's not on a text. It's a, at a minimum a voice message so they can hear your tone. Ideally in person. Hey, you know I love you. I just want you to know I believe that God's design for marriage is between a man and a woman. And here's, then you would say, so I can't go, but I want you to know I love you. Or you would say, so here's what my going means. I love you. I love you. Because loving them both is what you do when you're a believer because they're both made in the image of God. Loving people is not affirmation of same-sex marriage. That's just called being godly. I love you both. And my going means I want to be there for you both no matter what. You're not saying, my going means I believe in this marriage because I just told you that I don't actually believe God's design for marriage is between two men or two women. So to restate, I would have a conversation. I would say, here's what my belief is. And did you hear how my tone, I got softer? We're not going to blast people. Jesus didn't, the only people he blasted was the Pharisees for their arrogance. He was so tender. It says, take tender care of the weak, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm not saying all LGBT people are weak. I'm just saying... Take tenderness with people who are wrestling with their faith. So I would say have a conversation. Whether you go or you don't, this is not black or white to me. Uh, but they may say, I would say if you're going to go, hey, I believe this for marriage, do you still want me to go? Who, who are you to be so, who are we to be so arrogant and say, assume that they definitely want us there? They might not want your bad vibes all over their wedding. <laughs> I know it's complex. Is it a sin to have a lustful dream, and should I confess that? Great question. So, remember I'm a sinner, sinner up here. So sometimes I can have lustful dreams, and there's times when I have them where I know it's not just, because you can't control that, but I know that I had more control in this dream <laughs> then I'm giving myself credit for. And I know that in this dream, I made some bad choices. I'm thankful that that's not usually the case. I'll confess that. If you know you're making some bad choices in that dream on purpose, like I, we're, we're not a victim to our dreams, but there's times where it's like, well, there's situations. I think if you can discern in your heart, yep, I intentionally pursued that in my dreams, you need to confess that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd say when I've had lustful dreams, I've used it as an opportunity. Like you'd say, needs. I use maybe different language. Mm -hmm. I'd say, what is this saying about the condition of my heart? Yeah, that's good. 
because usually it means I've wandered, I've drifted, I've, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, my heart's not in a place that it needs to be. Yep, that's Usually it point. means that maybe subconsciously I've entertained thoughts or even consciously and yep. that's the expression of it and that's the outlet that it's given. And so it's just, is it sinful? Sometimes, I don't sometimes. know, maybe sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Mm-hmm. I would just say use, use that as an opportunity to, yeah, take that to God and say, God, like, you know, the core needs, where am I weak right now? Or what is this person promising me? Yeah. What is this person promising me? And Mm -hmm. like all of it, it's all just using it all to grow with God. It's just using everything to grow with God. Um, Because God's not whacking us over the head just because we had a lustful dream. He's saying, hey, let me, let me walk with you where you're weak. And confession isn't like, doesn't, it doesn't have to be scary, remember? Like, it, it can just be, dude, I had a dream. I'm so sorry, God. I just need someone to hear me. I just, I know I made a bad choice in it. And then hopefully that person will follow up with exactly what you said. What's going on in your heart lately? This doesn't have to be, you don't have to slice your wrists. This is not self-flagellation where you're whipping yourself. We're just confessing. Yeah, and another benefit to the confessing part of it is some people are like verbal processors, and so it's really hard to like, like go inward. Yeah. And so sometimes, like for me, like when I'm talking to my mentor, I'm like getting, oh my gosh, like I'm I'm talking through it, and the Lord is saying, oh yeah, that part because I'm pro- verbally processing it. Yeah. That's and good, so Jake. some of you like the reason that we are struggling is because you don't verbally process with anyone on a regular basis, and so that's the 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 benefit of a trusted Christian mentor or mm-hmm. friend who's your safe person, your trusted friend that, you, that mm-hmm. nothing's off limits on. So. And I'm not a verbal processor, so I, I take that to my journal a lot. So I'll journal it first, and then I may get to a point where I'm like, ugh, I know I need to talk through this mm-hmm. with someone. That's how I do it. So what are some signs that might point to a friendship turning into an unhealthy codependency? Dang, guys, you're so deep. Um, You're unable to say no. Like, you can't say, no, I actually want to do something else tonight without the other person, like, getting nuts. Or you going nuts. Like, just clingy. Uh, You're not invitational. So the church is ideally, like, you don't have to have, like, 17 friends every time you hang out, but if you can't ever have more people, and it's, like, an open, we want you to be a part of this, you're probably getting codependent. Um, Those are the two biggest ones. I'm trying to think of any more. Not invitational. You can't say no. Um, And, oh, this is a huge one. You are sifting your thoughts through their brain. If you've ever been in a codependent relationship, you know what I'm think, talking about. Is like you can't almost think for yourself. You're like every thought, you're like, well, what would they think? And you're like, and you could be right or you could be wrong, but every thought, it's not even your own thought. It gets real enmeshed. So if you're in that right now, feeling a little pinprick of conviction, talk to someone. Sure, you can talk to the person you're feeling codependent with, but talk to another person because some codependent people who are trying to, or people who are wrestling with codependency, another word for that is relational idolatry. That person is taking God's place in your heart. 
You got it. You need an anchor point. It has to be God. You got to re-anchor to him instead of this person. You guys are just going to drown each other. Uh, and you need help re-anchoring to God. You're not lost forever. You can get out of this. What if you don't feel guilty about your sexual actions? You've probably torched your conscience. Sorry to say it. But you can get it back. <laughs> Happy to say it. <laughs> Epigenetics. Now you can change your brain. If you're not feeling guilty, but you know it's sinful, have someone talk to you, hey, dear one, that's sinful. If you have some time of sobriety, you're going to start to feel the, the Holy Spirit is not a sledgehammer. At least that's not how I have experienced the Holy Spirit. Very gentle, strong. My friends and I call them, I was like, they're like, oh, man, I know Jesus was talking to me, and it was stern Jesus. It's not angry Jesus. It's like stern Jesus, where you're like, oh, shoot. It's like, I feel really bad good about what I did. So you need some time of sobriety away from your sin in order to feel that conviction again. It's just facts. Who do I tell my sexual history slash sin to? How will you answer that one? What would you say for this group? To whom should they, whom would you say? And then I can, I can offer two. But like, what do you yeah, I think there's, there's two different answers. I think there's a, if it's like an emergency, you need to get this off your chest. Like go to me, go to Pastor Nick, go to Jared, go to Kimmy, go to Tiffany, go to a trusted Christian leader slash pastor, if it's like, I just need to get this out in the open, like schedule a meeting and just say, hey, I need to talk and just say, I need to get this off my chest. But that is not a long-term solution because all the people that I listed, the reason they're trusted Christian leaders is because they do that with a lot of people already. <laughs> and so you need to go on a journey of finding a trusted Christian mentor or a trusted Christian peer who is not struggling with sexual sin. Or your specific one. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And it needs to be like what I, my, my, the language I use is you need to find the person where there's nothing off limits. Now, when you go to a small group, there are definitely things that need to be off limits. But there should be peop, a person that you trust, that loves you, that heart accountability, who you just say nothing's off limits. What do you, why do you say things should be off limits in small group? I'm curious about that. Um, specifically for young adults, because groups change so quickly. Oh, you know what I mean? People seasons, seasons in life change. People get boyfriends, girlfriends, leave groups and, you know, new friends. So it doesn't feel safe. Well, I would just say there's, there's in the young adult community, there's, there's consistent sifting of friend groups on an annual basis. Okay. And so sometimes when I say small group, I mean like the group of 10. No, oh, okay. if it's a group of like three, oh, so then it's a totally, group. yeah, yeah, okay. bigger group. Oh, if you okay. have a group of like three, then four, I feel like that's a safe place. And, but ultimately I think when I just mean nothing's off limits, I just know there's some things I can tell my Christian mentor that maybe I don't need to go there with maybe a, a friend of mine, even though I trust my friend, you know, I'm not going to say nothing's off limits. Do you disagree? I don't, I I don't know. I don't know. There's, this isn't black and white. I'll just say what I did when I was trying to get free. I had, I, there weren't a lot of leaders who were able to handle my sin type. 
to be honest. But I was listening. Here's what I was listening for, and this is good for leaders too. I was listening for how leaders and friends talked about sexual sin in like Christianity today and this pastor and that pastor. And if leaders were like talking about other people in Christendom and were like, gasp, did you hear about so-and-so? I'd be like, because they all have Southern accents and they clutch their pearls. Um, JK, JK. Okay. But uh, I was hypersensitive. I was like, if you're clutching your pearls about that, you're not going to be able to handle me. So automatically I went, not safe, not safe. Was I always right? No, I don't, probably not. But I was hypersensitive for pastors and leaders who didn't freak out over the big sins. Which that'd be smart for all of us to practice because I don't know that's pretty evil anyway because the ground is level at the foot of the cross and we're all broken. So I'd practice that ourselves and be... And I listened for leaders. So the first person I came out to and shared my story with, what I mentioned this yesterday, was a professor. So that was helpful to have a Christian mentor leader. But I cannot tell you how powerful it was, especially as a same-sex attracted woman, to have a same-gendered peer love me as I was. And I remember sharing with this one friend, I actually interviewed her on our podcast, Amber McClurg now. She was Pearson back then. I shared with her, and I was still so full of shame, but she was like a mature Christian. Like, you can, you know, you can just kind of see people like that. And I just told her, and she was actually my friend. And I was like, but don't worry, I'm not, like, attracted to you or anything. And, uh, you know, shame, shame, shame. And she was like, Lori, even if you do get attracted to me, she's like, I don't care. I still love you no matter what. And it was so refreshing to have someone who was my same gendered peer love me. Now, she didn't wrestle like I did. I don't know if that would have been good in my early days to, like, be the person who I called all the time, have someone who wrestled in the same exact way as I did. But that was powerful for me, to be loved and accepted by my friends. So I don't know. It's just different. Listen to her, not me. You know what? what I mean? so no, I'm, I'm whatever. I'm I loved what you joke. said. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> I, I, the reason I do say that is yeah. because there's a tendency, we all have it, right? Where it's like we want to be, we want to be loved and so we'll share it with too many people. You yeah, know I mean? too it's many. Like, and then It's you like get you're hurt. sharing it and you don't have, it's just balance because you have trust with friends, but it's like, yeah. it's like when do you share it? So if it's a, it's a rich history a friendship mm-hmm. that you have, then it's like, go for it. But yeah. if it's a new friendship that you've had in the last few months, like, I know you just got to use wisdom. You got to seek the Holy Spirit's wisdom on, on, yeah. on who you're pursuing Jesus with and who you're letting into yeah. your life. But I love, I love what you said. If it's like three friends, I feel like that'd be so dreamy. If it was like the three people, four people, not just two, cause it can get enmeshed and codependent and blah, 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 weird. Um, so if you had a few friends who are all pursuing Jesus and like, Hey, here's what we're laying down and here's what we're going to check in. Like that could actually be a huge gift of what comes from this weekend. Actually, if you guys are vibing with each other, as far as like understanding this content and even having core needs language or whatever, that could actually be a really powerful peer group where you're all staring at Jesus. Are fetishes a sin? This is, this is above my pay grade. Can you help me, please? <laughs> <laughs> Matt 
deals with this thing. This is Matt Craig. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna phone a friend here. Phone a friend. It's above my pay grade. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> um, yeah, I would. It, uh, fetishes are not a sin, but but they are indicative of something emotional going on. Um, I have worked with people. In Can you explain what fetishes are? So though? a fetish okay. is the use of an object or a non-erogenous part of the body in order to kind of achieve arousal. Um, and so I've, I've had clients in the past where the fetish is like as an adult dressing in like a baby's diaper or something like that where, mm. where there's that act is an extreme source of comfort and, and we would take it back to kind of the core need for nurture. Um, but it's it's a very disordered thing. It's it's not something that fosters closeness within their relationship. Um, but it's also not like sinful. It's a it's usually an anxiety based thing. It's something that it, it's it's disordered. It's a fetishistic disorder by the DSM five. But it's it's not necessarily a sinful act. In and of itself. In and of itself, it's not necessarily a sinful. How could it get sinful? So wait, can I just restate? So you're saying fetishes in general, like you're saying of this this client who finds comfort in wearing a diaper, which is kind of hard to say out loud. It's kind of mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, but that's more of an anxiety-related item as opposed to like even like a sexual issue or sin. This is more related to like the need for comfort and... Nurture? Yeah, yeah. well, that, that particular one is okay. more related to nurture. There are other ones that that can become a, a place of control, um, and and I would say those ones much more border on on kind of sinful. But uh, there's a, fetishes are a very broad thing, and so without like the specific, I don't want to put like a blanket statement over every experience that someone might have. What would be like an example of a sinful situation with fetishism, right? That's well, the phrase. I yeah. mean, like, you get into some of the more BDSM type of stuff, yeah. where it's like domination and and pain and and taking pleasure and causing that, like, that that can much more easily be said like as sinful. That is not treating someone with the image of God in mind, it's a consumptive thing. Most fetishes are very self-focused. Um, so I would say they're, they're never healthy. Um, they're almost always in the space of detrimental, if not outright harmful or sinful. And so again, how to know, like is something sinful? I, do you know how there's um, the type of paper that's like thin and you can uh, put it over like leaves and <laughs> color over it and you get like the essence of it over? <laughs> Yeah, okay. So you can take, oh, I got choked by the thing. <laughs> Hello. Uh, if you take what Matt just said, like selfishness, BDSM, like overpowering people, and you color over that, and you put it over this picture of sex supposed to be this picture of self-giving to the other person to show them how much God loves them, I don't, I don't see these cohering. Oh, so uh, with this sort of thing, like we, we often like to have the black and white of like this is sinful or it's not. Um, and, and sometimes it's, it's helpful to have kind of a, a spectrum of other ways to think about it. So you can have behaviors that are actually beneficial. You can have beneficial behaviors that 
kind of lead into permissible behaviors that aren't sinful yet, and then it can, you can move from permissible to detrimental to harmful or sinful. Um, one of the places that I go with that, it, like if I, alcohol, um, science shows like, okay, having a glass of red wine at dinner when you are over the age of 21, it's legal, um, actually has health benefits. It can be beneficial to you. Like uh, Paul says to Timothy, hey, have a glass of red wine. It will help your stomach. I don't know if he said red. Or wine. <laughs> they probably only had red. I don't know. Probably. Whatever. He said something about wine. Um, but that's a place where, okay, having a glass of red wine can be beneficial. Having two glasses of red wine at dinner, okay, maybe you're not getting sloshed, but you're not actually using it for just the benefits anymore. Having two glasses of red wine for dinner or with dinner every day, even if you're not getting drunk, is still probably bordering on a coping mechanism, which is putting you much closer to taking that step into just diving into something sinful. Mm -hmm. um, and so to have kind of a more nuanced approach, it's not just this black and white thing. There is a spectrum of are you acting out of something beneficial for you and those around you or are you kind of just stepping closer and closer toward where it becomes something that's actually harmful thanks matt yeah i, I just might add thank you matt that's <laughs> i think i've actually worked i've worked with many guys who have fetishes and i would say the the, the thing if there's anyone in the room who has a fetish is find the heart accountability per person who would be your advocate. Because if, if you hide and you never tell anyone because you're ashamed of what yeah. you're going through, it'll be very hard to get out. Yeah. It, it's, it'll be very hard to get out. And so I know it can seem embarrassing. It can seem like I could never tell anyone. But give a Christian friend, give a Christian mentor, give them a shot. Give them a shot. There, there's always, that knife will always be on the table. And there's always the risk of someone hurting you because of them not understanding. But you, that's where you put your faith in Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want to get out. And I, and I just trust that this step will, will draw me towards you. That's good. So let's have this be our last question. All right. Last question. Can you be a Christ follower? Oh, I didn't want to do that one. Okay. Well, I want to well, do that. I want to do all of them. You know what Aww. I mean? It's like, I want to do all of them. But I, know. Uh, I do want to ask this question, actually. It's the one sure. right underneath. How do you regain purity if you are no longer a virgin? <sighs> I feel like there's so much baggage with this question because, um, because purity culture, et cetera, et cetera, but you guys are a bit removed from that. How do you regain purity you just ask Jesus to make you whole. There's not magic words, friends. It's just confession. And he, he has removed your transgressions from you. He makes you white as snow. His blood washed you clean. You don't have to do some sort of song and dance ceremony. You just have to say, I'm sorry, Lord. Do you thank you for taking me, my sin on the cross? And it says he makes you white as snow. That's it. You can walk out today, pure, <laughs> holy, washed, sanctified. He did that for you. I just, I don't think it has to be 
a big thing. Just accept the grace.